Welcome back to Portrait of an Editor. I am Francis Lombard. Here's my second interview about the anthology graphic novel, The Most Important Comic Book on Earth, Stories to Save the World. This time I talk with Sarah Florence Lord, who is an editor on the anthology. Her focus was on webcomic creators and using the medium to deliver impactful stories. And also Paul Goodenough, who originated the creation of the anthology and oversees the Rewriting Extinction campaign to address the climate and biodiversity emergencies. We cover everything from why the comics medium can deliver a universal message to how the most important comic book on Earth has already made some changes on our planet. Enjoy! Sarah and Paul, welcome to Portrait of an Editor. We're going to do, I guess, the follow-up show to... And I will retweet, post all the links to the show I did with uh, Michael Perlman, Tyler uh, Jenis, and Will Dennis regarding rewriting Extinction and the graphic novel uh, that came out. I think, Paul, when did it come out? This fall, basically? Yeah, so in the UK, it dropped in the end of October, in the beginning of November in the US. Okay. So it is out. It's an amazing tome. Um, and it seems to, it's receiving awards. So I think I, in looking through there, there was one award that it received at the end of the year. And didn't, did you guys just receive something else? An acknowledgement of like, watch this space. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we're, up, we're up for a few, um, which is lovely. Um, yeah, we, it's, the, the reception has been astounding. Um, I'm sure I speak for Sarah and the entire team where we've been blown away, literally blown away by the amount of positive feelings. Um, so, for example, Sarah and I went to uh, Thought Bubble um, and in the UK, and it, it, I think both of us got quite emotional when we had families coming up to us holding the book in their hands telling us how it changed their lives and the way that the, the parents had talked to the kids about climate matters and biodiversity and yeah so it has gone down very well yeah it always it always felt like quite a quite an ambitious project just in the breadth of i mean who we were bringing on board and what we were trying to achieve but kind of it's it's a very different thing having it in theory and having a meeting between i mean the five or six uh, editor people on the editorial team and then seeing it in the real world and seeing the actual uh impact that it's been having you know both in a you know in with with the charities that we've been supporting but also as paul said just the interpersonal uh differences that it's made in, in the way that people talk and communicate with each other and online as well it's been i mean it's been amazing so before we get too deep into everything because i you know now my head's just like rushing about uh, topics to talk about. Sarah, what specifically was your focus on the editorial side? Yeah, so I helped a lot with bringing on board the initial uh, kind of webcomic creators. Um, so kind of the less traditional comic uh, formats, reaching out to them and uh, and coordinating with them to bring them on board. Uh, which has been a huge part of, um, I mean, there a lot, a lot in the book, but a huge part as well of the um, of the social media campaign post uh, post uh, release of the book, um, and also doing a lot of assisting assisting Paul and helping bring on kind of notables and celebrities uh, to front the comics, if you would. 
as Will Dennis and I talk about a bunch of times that we're we're old, we're sort of stuck in our ways as comic book readers and <laughs> do seem to forget about web comics, even though I did, I was an editor on a web comic for like five years. What was it, the pitch that you made about making webcomics that it had to be part of this whole, uh, of the, the original graphic novel and just the whole experience that you, you, that Paul's put together? Yeah. Well, I think, I think Paul's, Paul's very astutely kind of tapped in from the very start to, um, to the potential of the potential communication that graphic, uh, that, that webcomics give. So, you know, within the context of the graphic novel itself, you know, it's a whole bunch of stories and long form, short form. But then in communicating that to a wider audience who might not be familiar with the, you know, with the comic royalty that are in the graphic novel itself, you know, they may, they may not, you know, be obliged to purchase it if they don't recognize the names. So in in bringing it to a wider audience of the social media world, you know, those four panel comics that are, and they're so ingenious, you know, all of the, all of the creators who have come on board uh, to help us with this, you know, I'm constantly blown away by what they can say in four simple panels. So it's really kind of harnessed the, uh, it's really harnessed an uninitiated audience and it's open, as we said earlier, it's opened up conversations uh, with people in complicated conversations that can actually be, if not had at least started within those, the context of those four panels. I, I entirely agree with that, Sarah. And just, and just to kind of build on what Sarah's saying, I think actually um, what Sarah needs of credit as well, but what we did is when we're putting together these stories, we thought about audiences, who are the people we need to reach and how do we reach them? Some people are, are activated and actually moved into action by a longer narrative, a more traditional multi-page comic. That's their thing. That's their that's that's their gold dust. That's the thing they hoover up on a daily basis and, and love to read. And that's what moves them. But for a lot of people, we knew that they are the people who would sit on their phone in an evening after I've spent a long, hard day doing hard work, wanting to be entertained. And what Sarah and uh, did particularly, and, and I, I was helpful with as well, was bringing on board webcomic artists who our work could be appearing in Instagram feeds and Facebook feeds and Twitter feeds all over the planet. And in doing so, that's like, that's like our catchment area. That's like our marketing. By making these webcomics and releasing a lot of them for free, we've managed to reach a far greater audience Um than just with a book. So we've had 125 million views on our content, which is insane. Uh -huh. And you could never sell 125 million books where well, you could, but you know, it's, it's not in the realms of kind of like normal feasible comic sales. So to, to combine them both, to have the, the credibility and the story chops that a traditional comic um, creator brings alongside that simplified direct, emotive and funny response that a webcomic creator brings. That's kind of where we, where Sarah and I did most of our work. And it's really interesting and maybe it's for another conversation, but you know, I worked for Humanoids and I've been talking about comics and marketing for probably 15 years or something and about the frustration with American comics about marketing and getting people to buy the books, you know, people, but it seems like, and it just 
purely advertising way of how you manage to get the word out about the book is maybe something the industry can learn something from of just, I don't think it's just this topic that is drawing people into because we've been talking about climate change and, and everything else for decades, but it's really maybe just how you manage to capture the eyeballs and get people to part, you know, go down the alley of, of buying the original graphic novel or are or participating on everything you've set up regarding climate change and the discussion that's there. I mean, Paul, you, what would you, what would you consider? We got, you know, Sarah as the editor, as one of the editors, and mm-hmm. what would you consider yourself the editor in chief <laughs> or just you know, producer? Oh. Or, I don't know. I mean, just on this or mastermind, I guess. Or <laughs> I, I like Sarah's comment earlier of being like some sort of like grizzly spider. Yeah, the spider. The spider. <laughs> <laughs> um, so well, I did, did everything. You, but did you think this out about it in a marketing way? Because let's face it, we've been talking about this. We can see it happening on our planet on a daily basis. I'm in New England. Our winters are not the same. Um, our summers are weird. Um, we get hit by bigger, you know, these hurricanes are coming up the coast and continuing on more than they ever did when I was a kid. And it's there in front of us. Um, but I, I, you know, for me as a person who's been, you know, heard the word six mass extinction, you know, 12 years ago, and it still isn't something that we're concerned about, but I don't know. I mean, did you, it seems like, I don't know. It, as you can tell, I'm a bit frustrated with it, but it's great that the word's getting out and people are reacting to this. Is this, did you have a plan to make, get people to react to this with what you guys put, were putting together? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, 100%. So my background is in kind of, I guess, transformational change. So helping uh, charities and businesses sort of uh, align what they do to what their audience needs. So I did a whole bunch of user research before I started this. And I worked, I basically, I worked back from the position of the importance of species. And if people, if your listeners don't know, species are often left out of the climate change conversation, (laughs) but they're central. Of survival without a flourishing ecosystem we're all screwed um so we have to save these species that was my starting point and then i went from there and thought well okay i did some research um and i tried to understand what's called uh, um kind of environmental paralysis which is when people care but they don't know what to do or people don't want to care because they know so much is being asked of them so there's a whole bunch of research into, into understanding why people didn't want to engage. And principally, there's there's many reasons, but the, the, the kind of the central one, or the central two, I should say, was first that people felt that environmentalism or hearing about environmentalism, the conversations about environmentalism, was like going to a dinner party where everyone's talking about jazz and you don't know the first thing about it. So... If you've ever been to a dinner party, you don't know about like the topic of conversation. You just sit there and you feel stupid and you don't enjoy it and you never want to go again. That's what a lot of people feel like when they hear Greta Thunberg or to David Attenborough, because they're such experts. They speak with such passion and knowledge about this stuff that it's exclusionary. And you kind of feel like, oh, I need to get in that conversation. I need to know stuff. I need to learn. I need to research and read. And it takes a lot of confidence to step into a room when you know you don't know anything. 
<clears throat> so that was basically the starting position. And the second um, issue that that um, was also true was that people don't know where to put their money because there's so many environmental charities out there working in different areas. It's quite complex. So from that, I thought, well, okay, how can we simplify this thing? How can we make environmental messaging get to the right people without political, politi <laughs> but being apolitical with also without any judgment? And how can we quickly tap into making them care about species? How can we make them emote and empathise with creatures? And of course, you, your viewers can't see us but behind me. I've got twenty thousand comics. Mm -hmm. Of course, my, my first my first uh, uh, thought was to go to comics because with comics you can traverse time and space. You can put words and ideas in the minds of animals and species. Um, you can also it, it, comics is a perfect medium for taking great big world changing concepts and distilling them down into a few panels. You you might have read Understanding Comics then at one point in what over there, Scott, yeah, okay. over there. Scott talks about with you know it's sort of a universal language in a way, but the distilling of ideas or the expanding of ideas too. And you're absolutely right. And that that was basically the central part of the, the marketing plan. The idea and the fact that this hasn't been done before. People haven't used this medium in this manner. And so what I and we did is we then put together a bit of a framework and said, okay, well, who are the audiences who most need to be brought onto this? Who can we put our arms around and say, just listen for a moment. No judgment, no pressure, just listen for a moment. And we worked out who those audiences were. And then we worked out people, celebrities, notables, experts, who gave us access to those audience, audiences. And then we worked with them to make comics. So yeah, there was an absolute plan right from day one that actually preceded the uh, the anthology, um, and that plan was what then became the book and the the online campaign. So I, I would also add as well, you know, in the in the context of the breadth of what comics can provide, the stories that can be told. You know what what Paul's managed to do with it as well is, as you said, Paul, those names that you were able to include and bring on board. Comics are a uniquely collaborative process and output as well. So all of a sudden, instead of having, you know, one story being told by one person, you have charities, celebrities, artists, writers, scientists, activists, all of these people who, as as you were saying as well, Paul, you know, traditionally we're looking at we're looking at those as kind of individual individual outputs. Uh, and yeah, and presences. Whereas now, you know, everyone is telling not the same story, but they're telling stories together for the same purpose. And comics, that's, you know, the unique capacity and beauty of the comic format. I think that's probably something we should all actually explain to, 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 your, to your listeners. Um, yes. If they don't know, the way in which, because you asked the question of Will, Michael, and, and Tyler. Um, the way in which a lot of our comics worked is we'd set up a half an hour to an hour Zoom meeting. And what we would do on that call, we'd, we'd basically brainstorm an idea and would often have, say, for example, a notable name like a celebrity. So, for example, we had Cara Delevingne, uh, Kieran Gillen, myself and Christopher Reed. And what we would do is between us, we would basically roundtable an idea. And in that half an hour to an hour, we'd come up with a basic framework of a story and that's why 
there is such breadth in these stories because everybody was pushing themselves to be better or pushing themselves in a slightly different way or adding expertise. And that really is kind of at the heart of what we did. And who are some of the celebrities that you brought on uh, to the book? <laughs> Just, How uh... would you have? <laughs> <laughs> we have? I think we have about sort of 50. Um, but some oh, of the okay. big names. Some of the big names that people will be aware of. Um, so Ricky Gervais, Taika Waititi, Jane Goodall. We have Andy Serkis, Peter Gabriel. We have um, we have a variety of people who are, have kind of, I guess, semi-celebrity status in, of course, the environmental sector as well. Then we have the the, the big hitters from, from comics themselves, Jeff Lemire, Cliff Chang. We had Brian Azzarello, Marguerite Bennett. So um, we have big names from across the board because... What one thing we found is um, actually you might think that the people who'd get the most engagement would be the celebrities, but actually we found that the comic audience is one of the most loyal and receptive audiences out there. And actually the comic collaborations we've done with what we call the comic royalty, the, the, the names who people adore, they don't need to have necessarily a big audience, but the names of people adore, they're the, they're the fuel that has basically powered us forward. Uh, yeah, there was like Garth Ennis, I think, was another person. Mike Perkins, oh, seen, you know, <laughs> just, yeah, even mentioned Garth. Yeah, I, I just I kept went through and I'm like, oh wow, Garth. I would like. I wonder what a story of his would be because you know, just reading his preacher and Punisher throughout, you know, <laughs> as my right, I'm like, oh, you must have something to say. So now that you have the book out there, with the reaction with people, is it really what you were saying when you laid out the beginning of it about how to engage people? Um, and you were talking about a, th- a thought bubble of people coming up. It, I guess that's you're having success with that that game plan of engaging people. What are they saying beyond just the emotional? Are they going to continue on? Are they understanding? Is it making them go? I can do something about this as an individual, and I don't have to wait for my government. I can do start a little ripple effect that we all can contribute in this. Is it, is it moving them onto that next stage other than just having an emotional reaction to it of rethinking how they approach and their interaction with this planet and the other creatures that are on it? Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting because I think um, because it's such a complicated and such a personal um, issue, each of the conversations that we're having, I've found to be totally different. One of the most powerful things, as we mentioned already, I think the the most powerful thing that we can do, you know, as a global community is have conversations with each other. And, you know, and, and as Paul was saying, it seems to be so uh, contained within the bubble of people who are qualified to talk about it. Whereas like, you know, this is something that, as you said, is actively impacting us right now and is impacting everybody, regardless of qualifications. So one of the biggest, the biggest, things that I have found has been that people are comfortable to talk about it. And it's not, and as well, it's that environmental fatigue, the environmental exhaustion of, you know, we've gone through COVID, we've gone through, you know, war, all this awful stuff that's happening in the world. You know, really the last thing anyone else wants is another terrible thing happening. And I think Comet, again, Comics has a, um, a really unique, uh, an approachability that, other things don't. So, I mean, yes. So 
I think people seeing those comics and realizing that, oh, actually this does involve me, this does include me. And, and uh, yeah, I can, I can do something about it personally. We have a great, uh, great contributor, Mira, Mira Petrova. Um, and she does a beautiful little comic, Aware Animals. And they, each of these comics is all about, it's, it's anthropomorphized little foxes, other animals, um, basically showing small impact, small things that you can do to have a massive impact. And it's so educational and it's so non-judgmental and it's so accessible that, I mean, I look at them and I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that. You know, all of a sudden I feel less guilty and more motivated to take small actions. And from there, that definitely does grow from the conversations we've had with people. And just to, yeah, again, that's exactly what we've been after right from day one. Just do those. Once you start making better choices, you start to feel really good about them and you start to notice the impact you're making and you start to notice how much less you're throwing away or how much less impact you're having. And then you keep going. And um, yeah, when we were at Thought Bubble, like um, a young family came up and they were like, the, the, the dad was pointing to say that like the kids had actually found things in the book that they wanted to talk to their parents about because the kids didn't have the, the kind of the language to explain it before. What they did was they found the comic and like, dad, this is what I care about. And so it enabled the family to start talking, but there's been so many, my inbox is always on fire um, <laughs> from some of the people who, who kind of get in touch with us, which is wonderful saying they've, um, they stopped basically having grass, so much grass in their lawns. They started planting clover to basically allow pollinators to come in. People letting some of their um, their garden go wild to actually attract wildlife. People eating less meat or basically throwing away less plastics or working out where they can recycle better. People actually also just talking, as Sarah was saying. I mean, we had a conversation the other day with a 14-year-old activist called uh, Genesis Butler, and she uh, and we were talking to her about those conversations, how to normalize having a conversation that you want to change something to help the planet, be that energy, be that consumerism, be that meat free. And that, I think, is the most powerful thing that we can do um, is get it to be something that's normal to talk about. And not it being a finger point of blame, but an arm around the shoulder of let's let's get better together. So yeah, there's been lots, lots and lots of specific, tangible things have come out of it. And if you didn't know already that um, uh, there's specifically been a couple of species that already been uh, protected from extinction already from just the book, and uh, we're hoping to make the announcement that another 500 have been um, also protected from. Uh, extinction from the the money that one of our projects has raised alongside also uh, um, securing and protecting 360 hectares of land for indigenous people in Guatemala. So tangibly, sorry, it is a very long answer. So sorry, Francis, but no, no <laughs> the, 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 the short summary of all the, all the stuff we just said is yes, absolutely. People are able to take significant actions themselves directly from the comics and just by buying the comic it roughly equates to something like each time they buy one of our books three meters of rainforest is protected it's not telling you you have to lose something over here in the states people who 
don't believe in climate change or don't want to make the changes is that we're going to lose everything. And it's no, what I've been reading in the comics is that you just have to change. You have to change your approach. You have to change your investments. You have to maybe think about um, <clears throat> where your money's going, what that's doing, because that's working 24 hours. Or like you said, maybe, you know, eat something differently that would probably be better for you to begin with just as we, you know, learn more and more about what our diet should be. That, I mean, just your approach of like, we just need to change what we, how we approach things was, was that something that you, that sort of came together or was that sort of an approach that you had down through like a through line there that like, let's. Yeah, it was absolutely a through, a through line, um, always being solution focused. And also actually, oh. if there's one thing I would love to do, the next project I really want to do is present um, a vision of what a good green future looks like. Mm-hmm. Because I think if people can see how good it can be, how we could have wildlife like just down the road from us. We don't need to travel to Africa or Asia to go on safari. We can get that experience right near our doorsteps. And we can have green energy with like clean air and actually not suffering all the the, the health problems that we have and depletion of nature. If we can present that, if we can show people the future we should be having, I think we're actually also unlock optimism and also righteous anger that we're being denied that future which will then those two different kind of sides of the the, i guess the political divide both sides will start to want the same thing Mm -hmm. um so yeah uh, it's definitely a throughput um throughout the whole thing to never judge never poke and also to recognize that actually like you're saying it's not that um to be good for the planet you need to actually stop doing stuff it's sometimes you need to change the same with being healthy you know it's not to say you you need to eat less food as you can eat better food even here like we're in the last green valley and if you look on a satellite map of like new england you can see the sort of less it's less lit up it's a valley and they've been doing a lot of conservation putting land aside and now we have um bobcats which i've never seen you know um we have more deer than we ever need turkey stuff that i never saw when i was growing up you know walking through the backyards and stuff like that so people are maybe here realizing it it is not there is wildlife right next door to us and figuring out that it's nice to have that you know every time a bobcat works everybody freaks out you know get your pets in but they can't stop taking pictures of it and just of, of the cats because you've never, you know, it's sort of something new, even though they've been there. I think, it, I think it's tricky as well when you're looking at making a uh, systemat- systematic changes, you know, both in a wider, in a wider sphere, but also in your own personal, you know, in your own personal life. Um, it can be really intimidating to look, you have all these people asking you, you know, sometimes quite forcefully as well, which I don't think is the right approach, but, you know, go meat free, eat less meat, you know, all, or, you know, use less plastic, all of these things that are being asked or demanded, um, you know, when you've, when you've grown, when you've, I personally have grown up as a meat eater and it's only in having these conversations relatively frequently and talking to these, uh, to these activists and scientists and, you know, normal people as well, um, that I've really considered, uh, that it's not, you know, it's quite scary to make a change like that, that is so ingrained in your day-to-day life, your community life, like all of these things that exist around those issues, diet and everything else. 
um, that a lot of the time it can be framed as, you know, you are sacrificing something that you have lived with for your entire life. And exactly as you said, I think, it, you know, it's just about, it's not a sacrifice. It's more of an, an abundance, you know, you're, you're changing something out and you don't even necessarily have to take it away, but, you know, to, to eat no meat on one day, uh, for, for one day, you know, over, over the, in the context of your entire remaining life, that's a, that's a massive, massive difference. So it's not about giving something up entirely. It's just about making little changes. Or big changes if you want to, if you're feeling brave. And if you don't like it, then you can always go back. You know, that's the thing. It's the, it's the personal autonomy that that provides. So I only got yeah. a couple of minutes left. I was just going to ask, um, what is the future? Paul, you touched upon it with this. Uh, you have this massive, you know, web, you have web, you know, presence, you have the success with the uh, original graphic novel. Um, you have this community here and you touched upon maybe doing another book about showing what we could get. Is there anything else you might be doing or, and already you mentioned what you've been saving to the, you know, the species and everything. Is there something else in the works that you can talk about or, or hint at? Yeah, so we're still making comics. Um, and for everyone um, listening, if you go to Rewriting Extinction on any social media or rewritingextinction.com, uh, you'll see we, we're putting out new comics, usually two or three a week. So we've got um, new comics coming with people like Natalie Bolt, who is a director. We've got um, more from, I'm trying to think which ones I can speak about right now. Let's just say we've got some big names who are working with some webcomic artists and some traditional comic writers and artists. So we'll keep pushing out free comics online. That's one thing. Um, and simply giving us a follow on rewriting extinction is a really helpful thing that everyone can do. Um, we also are working and in progress about turning some of our comics into animated shorts We've got a clothing deal that's coming out soon with, again, all the proceeds from everything going to, again, saving species from extinction. And there's a couple of bigger projects I can't really name or go into too much, but they're quite big. But yes, basically, we're not stopping here. There's, yeah, watch this space because we've, we've done some incredible things. And actually, we can honestly have on heart say that with the people who've been involved, the contributors and all the supporters you've bought, we've done something truly remarkable and we want to keep doing that we want to keep basically being very solution focused very tangibly saying okay well you bought this book that's what you've done you know you've saved three meters of rainforest keep doing things like that helping people to make better choices and actually doing something good um and from an editorial point of view telling stories sir was there uh, one comic that you were worked on that was the most rewarding for you Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> really, really tricky to say. Uh, they are all incredible, all front, like all of the notables, absolutely incredible people. Uh, my, my personal favorite from both from, um, a, uh, from a personal standpoint, um, with the, with the story that was, that was, it was inspired by and the artwork that was created was Lessons from the Lakota, which was Jyotima and Moses Brings Plenty, who are both indigenous, uh, indigenous leaders in, um, in North America. 
and uh, and the artwork by Zoe Thorogood. So uh, I had the I had the pleasure of uh, helping write those stories uh, from interviews with uh, with both both those incredible incredible people. So, well, hey, um, I'm going to let you guys go. Uh, I'm going to check in again. I would love to check in. There just seems to be like a, a you know a huge amount of <laughs> more conversation to have, especially now that. Uh, the, the ball is really rolling and there's other projects and going on. So, you know, we're not leaving this planet anytime soon. So we really have to take care of it. So, and you, you know, it looks like, it sounds like you guys are contributing a great deal to, you know, to doing that. So thank you very much for making this happen. Thank you. Well, you're, you're basically contributing as well by getting the message out. More people here and more people do good. So the thanks go to you and everyone listening. You're welcome. And it's a great project. It's a gorgeous looking graphic novel. So thank you very much. So I will be talking to you. I'll be talking to you later. Take care. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye.